BJ Jones, you hands down the most feared athlete in obstacle course race when it comes to, let's say, 21 kilometer distance, 10 kilometers, but definitely the 3K distance. Now, you're a multiple time Spartan world champion and the youngest one at just the age of 16. And I tend to follow you on Instagram quite often. And I'm completely blown away by the way, you know, you handle obstacles, particularly, let's say, multi-rig or even twister. And you've got a phenomenal sense of humor as well. So, you know, really excited to have you on my podcast, learn something from you, and also want to learn about your journey in obstacle course race. Maybe you can delve into a little bit of hybrid fitness and DECA as well. Now, you will be competing in your very first Tough Mudder event in a week from now. And you'll be doing an eight-hour loop as a team event. So really excited, you know, to talk to you about all these things. So thank you so very much, Vijay, firstly, for doing the session. Really appreciate it. Of course. I'm uh, stoked to be here. Now, Vijay, before we get started, just wanted to check in. How has your day been so far? And how was Valentine's Day yesterday? Fantastic. Um, you know, we're... We're pretty busy people, like to do a lot of things. So having a, a slow day is ideal. So Valentine's Day, just kind of like chilled things out, <laughs> stayed in, watched a movie. Um, that's kind of exactly what we needed. So Valentine's Day was good. Today was great. The sun is shining. I'm not buried in snow right now. I was able to play some golf earlier this afternoon. So uh, overall, things, things are going really well. Really happy about that's it. That's great to know. And how is your training going on for Tough Mudder Infinity in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? Not too bad, actually. Um, the last few years, volume has been a little tough for me to maintain to where my longer distance racing has really struggled. And that's why I kind of leaned into more of a short course focus because that was pretty much all I could stand to train for. Um, I got sick in 2022. Uh, when I traveled to another country to race, I picked up a parasite and brought it home with me and it ruined, it ruined my immune system for a very long time, um, to where anytime I would try to bump up volume, I would get sick really quickly and it would just crash me out. So being able to actually build up volume is something I, I really struggled with over the past few years. So with like this new block and over the last six or seven weeks actually being able to maintain a lot more running volume than I have historically. It's been incredible. So it's a really, <laughs> really good sign for me. Um, like, I don't know that I'm not great in conversion to kilometers, but I was averaging probably like 20 to 25 miles a week last year oh, in all okay. of my training, which is very low. And right now I'm, I'm cruising at 40 miles a week and I'm going to be touching in the 50, like the goal is to get into like the upper mid sixties later on this year. And uh, so volume's looking really good and that's going to really translate well for uh, some of the longer racing that we're about to do in the desert. Yeah. Plus I've done some specific training. Um, I've done a couple 10 K intervals with like a 45 minute to an hour rest in between to kind of simulate what the demands are going to be in, in our team race. It's a relay format. So having our teammates take off, I get time to rest, go out, run another 10K loop, come back. So I have an idea what that's going to feel like. Mm -hmm. uh, did, did a few like three by 10K type workouts and, and it's been fun. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Plus, I love my teammates. We have a great time whenever we hang out. So yeah. uh, I think we're going to gel together really well. It's going to be kind of like really fun for the first few hours and then it's going to get harder and we're going to get serious about the race as the hours continue but i'm mostly looking forward to the party afterwards we're all going to yeah. be staying 
in a tent city out there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. And the glamping experience is definitely going to be absolutely phenomenal because, you know, I've been speaking to the event organizers and they're definitely focusing on the experience, especially for athletes like yourself. And, you know, I do have three questions which are directed by them to you and other athletes as well. Now, before we get into your training aspects and also talk about your team members, can you give our listeners from UAE and also the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, how did you get involved in obstacle course race at a relatively young age and what did actually drive you into obstacle course race? Um, I've been an athlete my whole life in, in one aspect or another. So uh, I started at a young age racing bicycles, raced BMX for a lot of years, um, found a knack for endurance, started running when I got into high school. Uh, turned out I was pretty good at that, but I was very good at many different disciplines, good on a bike, good in the gym, good on the track. Like I could qualify for championships in all these different domains, but I couldn't win in any of them per se. So my dad tried this local obstacle course race called the Rugged Maniac. Uh -huh. And it was really fun to watch him compete in that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to hop in on the next one. And I had a crazy experience. Um, did some obstacles, went through some deep mud, lost my shoe like <laughs> a half mile into this race and ended up finishing second, which I was not happy about. So I needed like, let's try this again. Let's, let's make sure we tie our shoes appropriately and um, just get a little redemption at the next race. Was able to win that and just kind of fell in love with it. I liked the, the strength aspect of it, the skills that were required to, to move through obstacles efficiently and get back to running. And um, I was already really big into trail running at the time. So it was just an opportunity to do that. So pursued it for a couple of years. Uh, this was through high school at the same time and uh, stumbled into Spartan race. And I knew that was where the competition was and was able to win my first Spartan race when I was 16. And that just kind of lit a fire under me. I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted to keep competing, competed in a couple world championship events uh, just out of high school and uh, learned that the higher level of competition in this sport was much different than the local races that I was doing. So really like started to focus on it, seeing that I could be good at this. Uh, got an offer when I turned 18 from Spartan race to join the pro team. And it just kind of, kind of moved on from there. I just kind of fell into this role of, um, obstacle course racing and pursuing it. And I, I just really loved, uh, I loved the sport and I still do. So yeah. we're still here. It's been a lot of years and it's funny. I'm, I'm one of the youngest people in the sport and I've been here as long as a lot of the veterans, uh, just cause yeah. I started so early. So got a lot of experience, but it, it's, it's been a, a really cool journey. I've learned a ton, uh, because I was a child, basically when I got into this. So I've kind of grown with the sport, which has been really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. And what I wanted to ask is, you know, let's say Richie, on the very first obstacle course race that you did, if someone would have told you that some of the greatest of all times do actually fear you and your accomplishments, what would you have thought back then? Uh, I would have been like, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was always very confident in my athletics and, and knowing what I was capable of. When I started running in high school, immediately, like as soon as I came out, I set the record at my high school 
like the freshman cross country record. And I was coming after like all the records of my high school. I got attention to uh, colleges in the area, um, bigger, like competitive running colleges from my early years. Like as a sophomore, I was receiving letters. Um, so I knew I was going to be good. And I just, life happened, things got in the way and training kind of took a backseat. And my later years of high school really struggled as far as my athletics. Um, so I knew I was capable of something and I knew I could have, I could have been good in the running world and OCR just kind of fell into my lap and became the right thing at the right time. So, uh, I was confident, like once I started pursuing OCR, I wanted to be the best in the world and I was confident that I could get there and I was going to do whatever was necessary to accomplish that. And looking at the way how you smash the obstacles, you know, you just make it look so easy. So, you know, I 100% agree to what you have to say. Now, BG Jones, I follow you on Instagram and roughly around three years ago, I'm, dead, I'm pretty much sure it was before the pandemic, someone did actually mention, VJ, I win every race I compete in Jones. And that's how they call you. And I clicked on like, and I was like 100% yes. And I'm pretty much sure, you know, you definitely most often tend to win the race that you complete in. Now, keeping that thing in mind, VJ, can you tell our listeners how many podium finishes that you have? I honestly, I have no idea. Um, Do you like, think it might be in the three-digit mark, maybe? It could be at this point. I, I, My earlier years, I was a much more busy racer. I used to race a lot of local races, um, compete. Like when I lived in Southern California, we had uh, two or three different race weekends that would stop by, like from Spartan Race. And then there were the championship races that I would travel for. I'd probably travel for locals like something in Arizona, like kind of in my region. And yeah, I would race a lot. Like I think I one year had 14 or 15 race wins alone, oh, okay. not, not including podiums. So yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, it, it could be in the three triple digits. Um, I could probably text a buddy right now and ask him and he'd probably tell us uh, how Is many podiums Is it Jack who might be having the stats? Jack Bauer. He's the number yes, guy, isn't it? Dude, he has all the stats of everything <laughs> ever. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, and not just for uh, United States athletes. I think he has the stats for pretty much every athlete who's competing in OCR, right? Even international absolutely. athletes, he has the numbers for them as well. He has backdoor access, I think, to all of Spartan Race's results. And mm -hmm. he feeds it directly into his chart. So any racer yeah. that has anybody that's raced from like 2011 till now, he and that includes hybrid ranked. fitness as well, I think. He's starting to get into hybrid fitness. I don't know if he has access to the results from a lot of Hyrox races, but I'm mm -hmm. sure soon he will, and he'll be able to um, start providing like more in-depth rankings as far as athletes go for for like the Hyrox side of things. Decafit, I'm sure he has access to everything. <laughs> And what I want to ask you, Vijay, is that is there any particular podium finish or a particular event or race that stands out for you personally and is a memorable one? There are a few for sure. Like, obviously, winning the Spartan Race World Championships this past year was incredible. Um, lots of ups and downs before that, a lot mostly downs. And being able to fight through that and come out and race. Like, I know I wasn't the fittest athlete there. There were athletes capable of beating me, but I just put together a good race. Like, that meant a lot to me. Um, but I'd say there was a race in 2019 that really 
gave me confidence in myself and showed me that I had the capability to be better than anyone that had ever done this. Like I just felt that I was, I, I could be a league above because I fought for so long just to get on the level of everybody and be able to race with them. Mm-hmm. So getting a glimpse to see that I could transcend that and get even better was a really cool thought. And I kind of struggled to live up to that over the past few years, but I still believe that it's a potential and it's, it's possible to reach the level beyond what I'm at now. Um, and that was a race in 2019 in Seattle where I felt really confident. I just won the previous race in the uh, Spartan U S national series. And I came into that already having won the race in my mind. Like I was confident. I, if you would have asked me like, who wins it it was me 100 i had it i had it unlocked so going into that and about two miles in falling off the z wall and having to do 30 burpees basically the race slipped away from me and i was really upset and i got my burpees done started running was pretty worked from it and was just trying to hang on and and try to stay positive and and Ryan Kent ran up next to me. He fell off the Z wall at the same time. And he said, we have this whole race ahead of us. And I just felt like a shift in my mindset. And I was like, you're right. We're just getting started here. Like this isn't gone. Mm-hmm. And it kind of turned something on in me. And I started running. I ran myself back into second place and Atkins had opened up a huge lead. Like we were on the Z wall at the same time. I did 30 burpees and he had a 30 burpee lead and I was able to run him back down in 2019 and pass him and to try to take the, the bucket carry. Am I right in saying that you were talking about the bucket carry? Is that the one? It was at the sandbag. Yeah. Sandbag. So yeah. I, okay, I remember that. When you, <laughs> so I was able to catch him and really challenge for the lead in the end. I didn't end up winning it, which hurt a little bit because I felt like I should have, but it was just a tactical error at the end that lost it for me. But from a fitness standpoint, I had just lost like a minute or more, minute and a half easily. And I ran myself back into that race. So that was a big turning point for me as far as like racing mentality and belief in myself and knowing that there was a lot that I could accomplish in this sport. So uh, that really stands out to me. And that still goes down as one of my greatest performances, if not the greatest performance that I've ever had. That's absolutely phenomenal to know. And am I right in saying that, you know, you're calling for the last dance. Is that at the same venue or is that at a different venue? Same venue, same same spot. So towards the end, you know, I definitely have a few questions surrounding that as well. Now let's talk about Tough Mudder Infinity that is taking place exactly a week from now. Now, you will be competing as a team for eight hours. But what I wanted to ask is first is, how did you find out about this event? Who actually broke the news to you? Leon. Leon Kofa. He he was invited out to the event, um, and he wanted to do a team. So he obviously had some people in mind, and he reached out to me. He knew like I'm a good athlete. Plus we have a great relationship. We're good friends and thought we could gel together. And obviously if I'm going to fly halfway around the world, we want to win. Right. So, uh, he just put together a a team of great friends and great athletes. And that's, 
that's kind of what we got going on. But I, I heard directly from him. He put this team together. This is uh, Team Leon, basically. Excellent. And am I right in saying that you have partnered with him and you guys actually smashed the OCRW1 championship as well, right, in the past? Yes, they took the country requirement off of the team race at OCRWC. Okay. So we were able to team up uh, the last year that I was there, which was 20, 2022. With Rylan, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, that's correct. And uh, how do you guys plan the training session? I mean, do you guys do it at Zoom or uh, is there any possibility that you might meet up, let's say, a few days before the event? Or how does the training schedule and planning and all these things work? So we're in a group chat. And okay. we've uh, we've had a couple calls where we just discuss with each other on strategy and what we know about the event. And um, Nikolai, he, he has a degree in sports science. So he shares with us um, a little bit of his knowledge of training for and preparing for heat, uh, electrolyte consumption, that sort of thing. I'm sharing a little bit of my experience as far as like what workouts I'm doing and mm -hmm. what I'm doing to prepare for this event specifically. Like, um for example, that that three by ten k that I talked about with scheduled rest, so and um, preparing food in between and making sure that you're fueling for each round and taking it all seriously. Because if you get behind in a longer race like this on your nutrition, it, it's going to catch up to you and you're going to crumble in the end. So you have to take it seriously from the very first minute of the race. Um, so we've been sharing information and making sure that we're all as prepared as we possibly can be. Um, and we gel really well together, so I'm not too worried about um, once the race starts, like anything happening or any miscommunications being there. Like we're all very capable and we're all understanding and we communicate well. So I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to do really well. Um, but yeah, we've we've been sharing lots of information and things that I'm good at, things that they're good at, and just kind of blending all that together to make sure the team is as strong as we can get it. And I think Leon recently, he just did uh, a, a rope climb, right? 20 meters on live television. I think he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he definitely did that. And what I wanted to ask is, you know, at the level that you are competing in, BJ, how do you identify when is your peak performance? And what is it that you're doing to make sure that on the race day, you are at your optimal and at the peak performance? Um, I'm not trying to peak for this race, honestly. Mm. Uh, this is... If I was competing as an individual, I would mm -hmm. say, yes, it's you, you're going to need to peak for this. But as a team and having the scheduled rests in between, I think it's mostly a question of volume and planning. Mm -hmm. So if my volume is strong enough for this event, I don't need to be particularly fast. I just need to be strong. I need to be capable of handling hours of work. So that's been my main goal being able to handle doing, you know, hour after hour after hour of work. Um, and that really meshes with early season training building, right? When you're, when you're doing off season work, preseason work, it's a lot of aerobic volume and you're basically building a, a nice big base to build a real high peak yeah. in the season. So this really lines up as far as how it's scheduled with the year and, uh, the preparation I would already be doing. It's just very aerobically focused and it, it's working well. So I've just done a little bit of specific work to make sure the running was dialed in. Um, I've been doing um, a little bit of like shoulder and upper body work over a long period of time. So take an eight hour set schedule and yeah. 
hop on the pull-up bar every 20 to 30 minutes throughout that entire time just to make sure the shoulders can hold up for a long time, right? Uh, so stuff like that, little particulars just to make sure that I'm ready for it and I'm prepared, but I'm not necessarily trying to peak fitness right now. Like my focus is in the fall. There's a lot okay. of championships on the menu this year and I want to win all of them. And I mean, all That's of them. So, uh, no, yeah. I mean, looking at how you've been competing, you know, that's the reason I say it's Vijay. I've been in every race I compete in Jones, so, you know, definitely a statement to that. Now, I did have an interview with Ryan Atkins yesterday, and a few, few years ago, rather, he did mention something about OTS, that is overtraining syndrome. Is that something that you've experienced in the past? I'm pretty much sure every athlete has experienced the fact that we always want to overtrain. Is that something that you experience, or is that... I'm a little different than other athletes in this space. I mm -hmm. have been historically a lower volume athlete. Almost every athlete that I compete against is running many more miles than I am. But I don't train to train. I train to mm -hmm. race. So if I have a race on the schedule, I am training for that. A lot of athletes become infatuated with training and just building fitness and what that's like and putting in hours and hours every day. I am obsessed with winning. That's what I'm training to do. So if I'm training for a 10K, I'm going to get ready for a 10K. If it's 10K in the mountains, I'm going to get good at climbing and descending and the timeline that that takes because it's going to take us. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll know I'm going to be racing for 50 to 55 minutes. I need to be dominant over that distance and that amount of time. So I will train for that. I'm not going to do volume past training like for a marathon in the mountains i'm going to train for this and i've gotten a lot of flack for that in the past because that also limits my schedule that's that's where you haven't seen me show up for any and every race that happens i pick and choose what i can train for and what i feel that i can compete in because when i want to step on a start line i want to put my best foot forward and i want to win so i don't i don't mess around with with my preparation process and uh yeah i i want to i want to win the races that i show up for you know what you said vg is absolutely inspirational and what i'm going to do is my niece is 16 years old i'm definitely going to make her listen to this part maybe two or three times because you know it's, other athletes can definitely benefit by this particular part that you mentioned as well now on your instagram story you mentioned about preparation for tough mother and you mentioned about shoes are there any other gear or equipments that you're planning to have different to let's say what you have for spartan race yeah a little bit um running it it, it kind of depends on the terrain i don't know mm -hmm. what the terrain is going to be like at the venue so i'm going to have to bring a lot of options and just choose when i get there um because for example spartan race world championships uh, in Abu Dhabi, that was extremely sandy, right? And yeah. you're going over dunes and you had to really be prepared for that. I don't know what it's going to look like in Alula. So um, it, it kind of depends. Like I'm bringing a couple options. I'm going to bring a full gator option in, in case it is very sandy. Um, and I'm bringing a more minimal option with a little bit of sand protection as an alternative uh, but fortunately, I'm not going for eight hours straight. So if yeah. something does go wrong, I have time in between my laps to adjust and, and yeah. handle it. But like my main focus is nutrition and making sure that I have enough fluid 
and uh, I can bring everything with me. I have my naked band that I can carry way too much stuff in if I need. So yeah. I'm going to be very prepared in that sense. Um, I also am planning on bringing, you know, tape in case uh, I rip my hand along the way and on uh, an obstacle. I don't know what Tough Mudder obstacles are like either. So everything is very new to me. Um, so I'm going to be prepared for anything. I'm going to bring everything I could possibly need and just make sure that I'm dialed in. But, but right now I'm, I'm looking at two different shoe options uh, yeah. to bring to the race. And regarding the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, are there any cultural experiences or sightseeing that you're looking forward to during your trip? I have no idea, actually. I've, I've never been to Saudi Arabia. I'm not uh, all that educated in that part of the world. So uh, I'm really excited to learn. I'm kind of going in with, with not a, no real expectations, but ready to participate in anything that I can. So um, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be traveling light. So if any opportunities uh, arise, I'll be, I'll be ready to go. But shortly after the race, I am going to have to fly yeah. to Dubai for oh, okay. Gov Games later that week. Oh, so you're going to be there at the Gov Games. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I that, will, this will be, be your there. second year, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. We have Team Colorado coming back out, so okay. that that'll be really fun. And you know, if I'm not mistaken, this time the location is different as well, which is quite nearby from where I live. Actually, maybe just a twenty minutes drive from where I live. If I'm not mistaken, they've changed the location for the Gov Games this time. Really? So it is probably an even better location, in all honesty. So you know, that's Wonderful. great to know. I, yeah, I know nothing about it. But I just got an email that is very exciting for our team specifically, that there is a climb the Burj Khalifa challenge for the yeah. Gov Games teams to where like all, all, all of our team members get together. We tie ourselves together. We're going to have to climb 160 floors. And I think there's bonus points for being the fastest team. I feel confident that our team is going to be the fittest team there and we're going to climb those steps really quick. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year. I heard obstacles are going to be a little more intense this time. The birds challenge is really, really cool. So we, we had such a good time last time. It was heartbreaking yeah. when we didn't make the finals and we took that really hard because we were all counting on each other and we all wanted to perform for each other. So we were all, I mean, especially me, I made one mistake in the day that really could have made a difference for the team. And that was tough to kind of deal with afterwards. But overall, it was such a fun kind of team building experience. And, and we, we kind of cherished it. And I really <laughs> look forward to going back again um, and just kind of having the same adventure. But this time, I think we're a little more prepared. And I think we have a much better shot at making the finals and, and hopefully winning. And last year when you guys were competing, just two days prior to that, I did have Yancy Kalpazvet on my podcast. And I did ask him, you know, if he's following the Gov Games. And he said, yeah, he's definitely looking forward for Team Colorado. And I think Chris Rublowski was also there in the team, right? Yes, she was on our team last year. She was Excellent. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she's an absolute beast as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Vijay, I have three questions from the event organizers regarding the Tough Mudder Arabia event. And this is about the team by Cap Sports. And the first question, which is directed to the US, how do you, Vijay Jones, feel about the prize money that is announced at Tough Mudder Arabia Infinity in Alula? It's incredible. Um, 
We've never seen money like this put on the line uh, for individual or team events. And I'm ecstatic that they're giving attention to a team event because athletes have always really enjoyed team races and they're really exciting. And if you pull team races off right, you can really engage an audience and get people behind it. Because when there's multiple people on a team, you're going to see more risks get taken. You're going to see uh, faster and harder performances just because you want to put out for your team. You have people counting on you. And it's easier to suffer in a group than it is by yourself. So um, uh, I'm really glad they're, they're putting this together. I'm really excited to come to a place that I've never been. So uh, the, the prize money is amazing. And hopefully uh, the athletes that perform well and, and are able to earn their way into the podium and, and into the prize pool get paid timely. Yeah. That is quite important, isn't it? Rather than having a delay of, let's say, six months, eight months, or maybe even a couple of years. So timely payment is definitely, definitely critical. The second question, what they want me to ask you is, would you support a series in the Middle East with multiple high price sport events in the near future? Of course. Um, I love this sport. I love OCR. Uh, I want to see it grow. And if they can help provide a platform for the sport to grow and to get more eyeballs on it, I'm 100% about it. Um, I, I would definitely be all in for that to help out in any way that I can, whether it's as an athlete or, or otherwise. Uh, I, I think that would be incredible. Um, OCR is fascinating. And if it's done well, yeah, it, it, it can engage a lot of the world. So... Yeah, I, I would be ecstatic to hear about something like that. And the final question what they have is, what would you like to see the organizers focus on to uplift, let's say, obstacle course race regionally and internationally? Hmm. It's interesting. Is this from Tough Mudder specifically? or yeah, Tough Mudder Arabia. Okay. Uh, as a whole. As a whole, including other obstacle course races as well. Be it okay. Spartan Race or Savage Race or anything else. Yeah, I would love to see a series. Um, I I would like to see a variety. I think the ultra distance is very exciting, but mm -hmm. in its own way, because it's, it is a little exclusive to a certain margin of the population to where um, it's kind of hard for people to relate because not many people are, are experienced in doing eight hours 12 hours 24 hours of something like that but it does provide an opportunity to show something that is so out of this world and so incredible um i don't know if you've seen the obstacle racing media yeah uh documentary I spoke to Matt Davis yeah yeah perfect that 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 documentary that they did was incredible yeah. and you could only really do something like that in something like world's toughest mutter or a tough mutter infinity so that was really cool. And I think that's a great opportunity, but I like my dream for OCR is to see something a little more uh, spectator friendly and something a little more consumer based, something shorter, something high intensity with multiple rounds uh, that can really bring in sponsors, bring in media. I actually, I have a whole event concept that I oh, was working on for a couple years. Um, that is a short course format with 
individuals and teams and spectators and TV. Like I had a whole thing ready to roll. Um, and that's something that like I feel is going to be really successful. And I would like to pursue on my own one day when I have mm -hmm. the resources to do something like that. But um, anything that is consumable and watchable, I think that is the number one thing that I would like to see uh, around this sport because the sport would grow massive if people could just see it. Yeah. So as long as, you know, with putting up a lot of this prize money and getting the world's best athletes to, to arrive, if you can tell those stories, if you can, you know, create storylines, develop characters in the sport, get people on board and then spread it to the masses and get people to buy into what OCR is 100%. That, that is, that's what needs to happen for this sport to take over the world. And I believe it can, it's just, it's totally missing possible. that, that one media aspect, just that yeah. one thing. And one thing, one thing which I think of is, you know, probably we need something like a Conor McGregor moment in the obstacle course race. I mean, everyone is really polite and nice. I'm pretty much sure you know about Conor McGregor. He's the king of trash talk. Mm -hmm. So maybe if someone, you know, comes up with the trash talk, builds a lot of excitement. And when you talk about the number of views, it definitely gets a lot of eyeballs rolling into the sport. So, you know, let's see if you have something similar to that. Now, regarding Tough Mudder Infinity, I want to ask you a question regarding your prediction for your team. How many loops do you think you guys would smash? We don't know. Um, it, it really depends on the terrain. Again, like if we're able to run well, I think we can, we can move really, really quickly um, because we're not doing back-to-back -back laps where you actually can trade off. So if it's really sandy, if it's really slow, I was thinking like we're somewhere between like the eight to nine lap range. If we mm -hmm. can actually get rolling, I'm looking at like four. Uh, I think we can get like over 10 if we can start running well. Um, but it's, it's really like, it's all terrain based because we're going to move well through obstacles. Our, our team is strong and capable. Um, and we're going to work together as a team really well on any teamwork obstacles. I feel like we're going to get those dialed in in the first lap or two, and we're going to be really efficient. And I would look for us, probably not to lead at the start, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be teams that are going to get excited and want to run really quick and you go for it. I'll see you in the back half and I, we're going to win. So, so the last two hours are going to be really exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's absolutely phenomenal. Now, VJ Jones, let's talk about Spartan races in the Middle East. Now, in 2021, you weren't there, right? That is at the Leva World Championship the year before the El Wadba one. Did you get any feedback from fellow athletes regarding what the venue was or what are the do's and don'ts? Um, I uh, I had just never been, I'd only left, I never left my continent. I had only been like <laughs> south of Mexico. Um, so I'd, and I was really training for specifically the US National Series. And okay. I got really good at that. And those were mostly like, an hour or less races and then the world championships was shortly after that in the middle of a desert <laughs> like that was it, in the middle of a desert <laughs> yes it was in the middle of a desert <laughs> yeah and it was it was way out there and it was just i knew i wasn't going to be able to able to perform well 
and it just kind of was what it was. So I didn't feel the need to, to show up there knowing that I was going to be fighting for a top 10 placement, <laughs> long Sandy dune climbs. Yeah. Uh, that was going to be a really long race too. Like, cause you just can't move quickly. So a half marathon up dunes, I was not prepared for that. So I'm kind of glad I didn't go because it looked really, really tough. <laughs> and um, it was much brutal than it looks as well, to be honest. Yeah. So I did not miss out on anything. The views looked gorgeous. Other than that, it looked painful. Um, so the next year, Alwathba, um, that was the 10K World Championship year. And I earlier in the year when they announced that, I was like, dude, they just gave me the World Championship. Stoked. Uh, and that, like, I was really sick at that time. I was barely training. I was... Uh, I had a fever on the flight over. Like I developed a fever during our layover, our first layover. And like my whole flight uh, into Abu Dhabi, I was not good. I was not having a good time. Um, and I was sick the day of the race. And I just tried to put my best foot forward because I had already booked the flights. I was already committed. So I came out and I had a, the best time that I could, but it was, it was, it was, not a great time that I had, but yeah, um, yeah it, it was, I, I enjoyed the venue. I enjoyed the experience. It was great. It's just like the six months leading into that were just riddled with health issues and I just could not overcome it no matter how hard I tried. So a uh, little bit of a low point there. But in 2022, you guys still managed to smash the team championship, right? That is the yep. following day, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we were able to do that. Like I can, I can fake it for, for a kilometer, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm just good at that sort of thing. Like quick obstacle movements. That was perfect, which was basically the same thing that we did for 2023, just a few times more. Um, yeah. but yeah, I was, I was in a really bad spot in, in 2022. In, in 22. Yeah, it was, it was not pretty. Now, in 2023, you definitely smashed it. But you know, Vijay, I was right at the sandbag and near the A-frame. So can you tell our listeners what was going on in your mind specifically during that time? And everyone was like, who is going to win? That uh, that was just a mistake on my part. I made, I had to make a call. Like, things happen in racing, and you, you do your best with the situations that you have. So through the entire race, I was doing really well. I was executing exactly as I needed to. I was running well. I was stacking the sandbags. I was crushing the yeah. rig. Like it was my race and I felt great. And I kind of got comfortable in the third lap and I didn't feel like I needed to open up any more of a lead. I just needed to be ready if someone wanted to challenge. And when I got to the double sandbag, the entire day, through round one, two, and the first two laps of the final, I had stacked bags perfectly and ran well. And I tossed those bags up on my shoulder and 10 steps in, they were trying to jump off me. One of the bags was halfway down my back and one was on my shoulder. And I was like, I, I had two options. I can either drop them and try to pick them back up again, or I can hope that I can keep it on my back and just move slower. And I chose the ladder. I oh. kept it on and I leaned really far forward. And if you watch it, I start the sandbag carry upright. And by the end, I am fully bent over just trying to keep it on my back. And 
in hindsight, I probably should have just put him back down and picked him up again because if I would have had it stacked well, he would have never caught me. Um, but I made the decision and I had to stick with it. And he ran me down and I'm sure he felt yeah. real confident after he had caught me. <laughs> but I was I was ready. I was ready to fight after that because I had just like, um, you know, I had it in my hands and I knew I was the best person through that gauntlet. Like no one was going to beat me through the rig and laser pistol area. Like that was yeah. my bread and butter. So I knew I was still going to win it. It was just like, I had an opportunity to have a dominant performance and this one little mistake just kind of like <laughs> made, I knew like I was going to hear so much about it, uh, but it's all good. A win is a win. And um, I still felt confident. I just knew I probably made the wrong decision, but when you're halfway through the carry, like I, I had made my bed. I just, now I get to lie in it. So <laughs> he caught me and yeah. But you know, as you said, a win is a win. So, you know, congratulations on that. Now, what Thank is the you. general feedback, you know, you have regarding the event at El Wadda? Because I believe there might be two more such events at that same venue. Personally, I really like that venue. It's really cool. Um, it's not far from the cities. Like, mm -hmm. it's easy to stay places. Plus, you, uh, that festival is always there. And that's a really cool yeah. place to visit. Um I, we had a good time. I went for the first time this past year and uh, we ended up leaving with way more stuff. They're really good salesmen in there and they sold us a lot of things. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great venue. Like having that area in there with all the cushions where you can get comfortable and hang out. And as the night comes, all the lights come up. It, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a blast. It's probably my favorite festival area experience that I've had. Usually Spartan race festivals, they're uncomfortable. There's nowhere to relax. There's nowhere to sit. Uh, there's limited drink and food options. This covers all those bases. So even as a spectator, it's great to visit. Like you can show up, you can have a good time. You can check out a couple of vendors, get some food. Um, so I, I like it. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I think it would be cool to, to go back there. I'm open to it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a great time at that venue. Um, I don't know if I would have liked the first year venue way out in the middle of the desert, but <laughs> I do, I do like the Al Wafba venue for sure. And what are your expectations regarding this year's event? I think the world championship will be for the beast, isn't it this year? Yeah. So there's a short course world championship and a beast world championship. Um, I'm not really sure why they went away from the 3k. Like we had just established that this was the option. This was the good, like yeah. everyone was a little hesitant at first, but by the end, I think everyone was like, this is really cool. We understand it. Now we're ready for year two. And then they just decided, no, we're going to give up on that. We're going to move to something else. Um, I think there was one person responsible for that. I think he's gone now. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll leave that for another day's chat. But um, yeah, I think I think they should have stuck with the 3K. I would have liked to see that develop because that was probably the thing that had the best chance of becoming a spectator sport and getting uh, network contracts to be televised. Like that was really sure. exciting. We saw different winners all the time. We saw so many lead changes, drama in between yeah. the rounds. Like it was exciting. So it's a little disappointing, but I like the opportunity to come out and win a beast world championship because that's been kind of the thing that people say that I can't accomplish. I'm not good at the long distance. I can't handle it. That sort of thing. Um, 
but I'm going to come out there and I'm going to win it. And it's going to feel really good. Yeah. Now, am I right in saying that, you know, you did beat Ryan Atkins in Beast in Lake Tahoe, right? Not Lake that... Tahoe. No, I, uh, I was always really young in Tahoe. Like my first okay. year in Tahoe, I was 17. Um, I was a teenager for most of my Tahoe years. So uh -huh. not my, not my best performances there. As I got older, I figured out the longer distances and how to train and evolve into that. Um, and it worked well. So I was actually able to like, I won my first beast in Mexico mm -hmm. in 2022. So that was like, that was a longer race and I was able to win that. That was at elevation too. So I feel much better about the longer events and I know how to prepare for them now. So looking at the season, um, the Pan American championships, there's a three K and a beast in Seattle. I'm going to, I'm planning on, you know, winning both of those. I want the 15 K at OCRWC and the three K my big, my big goal this year is trifecta champs. Um, so I'm planning on planning on going to Greece. Flights are already booked. Like I'm, I'm ready. We're going to, we're going to take that one down. I have a little, uh, my motto for this year in my gym on my mirror, it says faster than Basilico, stronger than Kent. Oh, that's absolutely wicked. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do so you have seen your mixed martial arts by any chance, VJ? I do not, but I would love to. I feel like that'd be really fun. See, the reason why I brought this thing up is because on Saturday, there is a massive fight coming up and there's a guy called Ilya Tupira. He has changed his Instagram profile that he's already a champion. So he just has had 14 fights, but he's changed it to 15 and 0. And to be honest, the guy whom he's competing with is probably the best athlete of all time. So there is a lot of drama. There is a lot of trash talk going on. And it just might be one of the biggest fights probably in the history of UFC as well. And that goes back to the mentality that, you know, you just mentioned regarding having the signs up in the gym. So what I'll do is, you know, after the podcast, I'll definitely send you a screenshot of, you know, what his mentality is. Now, PJ, something which you did mention earlier on, that you are still young, but you're already the OG of the game. Now, you clearly mentioned that you prefer short distances, but what advice would you like to give to, you know, some athletes who talk about longer distances and they want longer distances? What advice do you have for them? Um, understand what you're training for. Um, it's not just distance, it's time. Mm -hmm. And the comprehension of time has been a big thing for me because when you say if you're training for a 10K, if we're looking at a 10K race, take example, the race we had in San Luis Obispo in California, almost dead flat the entire way. We're running, you know, mid five minute mile pace the whole time, hitting obstacles fast. We finished that event in the low 40 minute range right? Like my fastest super I ever did, I think was 39 minutes. Now take a race that happened in Big Bear or Utah, same distance. Now we're pushing up into the 50 hour minute, hour range, you know, 60 minutes, right? There's 20 minutes of difference across the same distance. So not only are you training for terrain changes between events, you're having to deal with time changes and the difference between 40 and 60 minutes is immense. Yeah. Right. And this is still a short distance race. So let's talk about a beast, right? 
if we're running a beast in San Luis Obispo and we're getting rolling hills, hard packed terrain, you're going to be able to cover that ground a lot better than power hiking up the side of a mountain and having to descend through really technical areas. Or if you're running in the middle of a desert and having to contend with dunes, right? Yeah. So understanding your time frame is huge. So if you were planning on running for two hours and 20 minutes and you're out there for 245, this is 25 minutes of unplanned territory. So keep that in mind when you're going into adding volume for your races. Um, I always recommend training time-based for your long runs. I don't like uh, mileage basis because um, if your terrain changes, say you're traveling or say it starts raining really hard and your trails get all muddy, right? You're not going to be able to get out onto those onto those trails. So you're going to run road instead that might cut 20 minutes off your run that you really needed. So time-based workouts are really huge and nailing your nutrition. Like you've got to take your nutrition seriously and, and practice with these different things in your training. Like one of my big things in preparing for Alula, I'm, I'm taking every day the electrolytes that I'm going to be taking mid race even before my easy runs, before my intensity sessions, before my long runs, and I'm taking nutrition uh, during almost every interval workout. So if I'm out, if I'm going out and doing threshold, if I'm doing track workout, I'm taking nutrition. I don't need it to get through that workout, but I want my body to be used to yeah. what I'm going to take. You have to accustom yourself to that, know what works, because if you just surprise yourself with a gel on race day, oh yeah, oh my gosh, it's a terrible. lot of things could go wrong, right? Absolutely. I did that one time. I, I, my, uh, my only half marathon I ever ran, they handed me a cliff goo in the middle of the race. And I was, um, and I was like, Oh, I'll try this. Why not? <laughs> and I took this cliff gel in the middle and I felt so bad. It was about three miles of just brutal stomach pain and it was terrible. So save yourself some problems as much as you're running mileage train your stomach to be able to take what you need to on race day and you'll be better off for it. That is definitely solid advice. Now, BJ Jones, you are also at the Spartan Games. What is the good, bad, and the ugly experience that you've seen over there? Um, Spartan Games. That was a really fun experience. It was a little underwhelming, but overall I had a good time. Like any time you can get a bunch of athletes together and they have to spend time together, we're going to have a good time. Most of the people in this sport are really cool um, and easy to talk to. We're all friends. It's nice. Uh, so that was no different. We got to meet a lot of new people, do a bunch of different stuff over different days. And uh, some people were taking that really serious. I was just excited to have a good time. Like the day before I did Spartan Games, I just won the U.S. National Series. I was on top of the world. So I didn't care one bit about Spartan Games. I just wanted to have a good time. And I did. So... <laughs> I, I really liked that. The first year of Spartan Games is what we all signed up for. We all saw that at Joe's farm. Yeah. It was incredible. All those different tests. Uh, the, uh, what did they call that? The Spartan cross course that they had. It looked so good and like lifting heavy rocks and riding mountain bikes, all this stuff. It was really cool. And we didn't quite have that when we did it in Big Bear. Um, and it was it was a little bit, a little bit of a gnarly experience. Like our first day, it started to snow. And they were like, we're going to do a swimming test. 
and we're like, <laughs> that was hard. To, yeah. You want me to swim <laughs> while it's snowing? And they're like, and the yeah, conditions weren't great at all. Oh my gosh, it was brutal. And we had to do two by twenty-five meter underwater swim. So we had to. <laughs> we're in murky lake water, and we have to go under. We can't see where we're going. All we have is this little rope. And we just have to follow the rope under, and it's buried in mud. So you're like pulling it up out of the mud, just hoping you're going to get to the end. And it's freezing cold. Oh, what a crazy experience. And then right after that, they're like, all right, good job. We're going to do our 600-meter time trial. I'm like, fantastic. It's going to spend more time in this frozen lake while it's snowing on me. So, yeah, overall, I look back on it. I was very fond of it. It was really exciting. Uh, we had a good time raced mountain bikes up and down the mountain and uh, did a lot of funky stuff, wrestled in the sand. Never done that before. So great experience on my part. I don't know if people enjoyed season uh, two as much as season one, but it was it was a blast. And if the UAE or the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia were to replicate something similar to that, would you be up for it? 100%. Invite your boy out there. I love that sort of stuff. And you need some people with character out there. You need some color, you know, yeah. endurance athletes, maybe not endurance has to be just some like elite OCR athletes. I don't know why, but they, a lot of them come out so boring and I, I don't understand. Like they do so many fascinating and really cool things. Like your lifestyle is incredible. Why are you so bland? Like bring some energy, man, be exciting. So yes, tag me in uh, season one of, you know, spartan dubai games or whatever whatever it is sign me up i would love that that'd be so much fun i i enjoy those experiences and getting a bunch of athletes together it's just a blast D definitely and you just mentioned you know about athletes doing something different getting a bit of drama so to speak now you posted about last dance and you called out some of the goats and encouraging them you know to go ahead and participate i personally think it's an absolutely phenomenal idea but what has the response been with you know the people that you've called out at the event? It's been pretty good. Um, everyone seemed to be on board. Atkins liked, he, he wanted to make a, a stupid little comment, but that's just Atkins. He likes to poo-poo <laughs> on anything anyone else has going on. Um, so whatever. But other than that, the response was good. The, the main consensus that I got was they didn't want to go through the qualification system. And the current qualification system is a little difficult. Like uh, if someone hasn't raced in a few years, say like Ryan Kent, he hasn't done a Spartan race in a few years, or Ryan Hobie Woods, Call as well. Hobie Call, uh, Cody Moat, great athletes, legends of the sport. They would have to go in and sign up for a competitive wave at a local event, run fast enough to earn their pro card, and then perform well enough in that to move on to a U.S. National Series race finish a U.S. National Series race, and then earn the right to qualify into Pan American Championships. So I was reaching out to Spartan and really working hard on getting qualification exemptions for specific athletes. Like I wanted to reach out to a bunch of athletes, get them on board, and then come with a list of names and say, this is their, th these are their names, this is their merit, this is why they deserve to be in this event, and get them in straight away. Um, which I think is like a one-off invitational kind of basis is fine. And I don't think anyone will have a problem with that because these people are going to belong there. 
Um, and I was trying to chat with Chris Maltby about it, who I don't think is a Spartan race anymore, but he was in charge of the whole qualification system and I could not get a hold of him. So I reached out to Joe to send it directly and he's mm-hmm. really on board with it. So I think we're going to get exemptions for athletes now. And I feel really good about putting this together um, because I don't know what Spartan race holds in the future. I believe that this is going to continue and we're going to have a renaissance of OCR in the United States. And it's going to come back to what it was and in its glory days. And, and I want to take a position in Spartan where I can help it grow. And I'm mostly around media. I'm mostly a personality and I don't feel like I can help build the stories of the athletes around me while competing against them. I just don't, like if I'm racing in it, if I'm if I'm competing in this race, I can't ask people how they're doing about and and what their preparation was like and all this sort of thing. Um, like I don't want to finish the race and first turn around and then interview and be like, "Hey man, how'd that feel? <laughs> you know, how was it out there for you?" So I can see myself after this year take like stepping away from OCR and moving more into the hybrid space, the high rocks deck of it kind of scene mm-hmm. and becoming more of kind of a character and a media personality in the OCR realm. Um, and that's kind of like my dream. And I feel like I can help the sport grow a little more from that perspective or from that side um, and do a little more storytelling, which yeah. I think could be really cool. So, so that's kind of, why I want to have one big reunion of everybody in Seattle. Yep. Because I don't know, I don't know what next year holds for me. I don't know if I'll, if I'll still be doing this or not. So this might be our last chance to have a classic Spartan venue. Maybe they go back to the three K maybe this is the new norm. Um, but Seattle is classic Spartan been there a lot of years. Uh, lots of us national series races, lots of battles. It was on television. Like people know this spot. And it's local to the city. It's easy to get to. I think it's a perfect opportunity to just have a lot of incredible athletes all show up at one time as kind of a celebration of everything that Spartan has been. And Uh, what would the race format be for that video? Would that be like a super or beast? It would be a beast. It would be a beast distance. So they do have a 3K on the Friday before. But Mm -hmm. I think the beast is more of a classic Spartan style of event and i'd like to see everybody come out for that so i'm going to be sending out a lot of messages and trying to gather the troops for this one uh i i i'm really excited about it i think people are on board like i'm getting a lot of good responses from the people i have talked to and i'd like to see some big names come out of retirement for just one more event one one last dance as they say um yeah I'm, I'm contemplating, really cool. you know, if I should share my thought or not, because I think you should take the Conor McGregor route and, you know, do a bit of trash talk and tell them that, you know, you've got to smash everyone else. That's just going to get a lot of people engaged into the sport, isn't it? I think I can yeah. talk some trash to the people that are in the sport. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that. I will do that 100%. And I think as we get closer to championship time, that'll start coming out because it needs to happen. But as far as getting people to come out of retirement, I don't know if any hostility is going <laughs> to encourage them to come out. So I want it to be more of a celebration. I want a lot of people there. And um, But when it comes to like trifecta, I've been practicing my French so I can uh, 
talk a little trash to Basilico in his own language. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be good. Um, I'm looking forward to all the championships this year, but Seattle would just be kind of like my own little passion project to see to see everyone one more time uh, before they disappear into retirement for good. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. Now, Richie, I want to talk about Richard Diaz. How has it been training with him? And I do think he's one of the greatest coaches, definitely in the obstacle course race community. So uh, I worked with Rich from, I think, 20, 2017 through 2019. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't worked together since then, but he... Uh, he taught me a ton, like coming into the sport, like in 2017, I was 18 years old. I didn't know a lot. I didn't know a lot about training and, and how to develop myself as an athlete. And he kind of took me under his wing and, and coached me into really good fitness. And as well as I, I learned a ton from him, especially when it came to uh, running mechanics and the science of training, like he was incredible. Uh, and I still think he is one of the best, if not the best running mechanics coaches on the planet. Like if you want to learn how to move efficiently, he will do that for you and he will get you dialed in. Um, there's just a little bit of difference as far as like uh, his method for like daily training and it works, but I think I just needed something a little different um, because every, everyone's a little different. Like there's a lot of different ways to get to the same end result and you have to kind of figure out what works for you particularly. Um, but I, I refer back to Rich all the time in lots of different ways. Um, and he taught me a ton and I'm stoked to know the guy. He's an incredible person. Um, but yeah, I, I learned a ton from him and he set me on a really good path in this sport as far as building foundations uh, for becoming like an elite athlete and becoming a champion and, and being able to perform at the level that I do, for sure. And VG, if there is one skill that you'd acquire, you'd like to acquire from him, what would that skill be? Um, I'd like to see the way that people move the way that he does. Mm -hmm. The way that he can pick up on something, little nuances of, of the way people are moving when it comes to running like in how they're swinging their arms and how that rotation is going to affect their foot placement and the alignment as far as like their weight and their balance. He, he recognizes things much quicker than I do. And, and he sees some things that I just don't, that I just can't because he's got, as long as I've been alive, he's been doing this longer. Uh, so I, I'd love that just because, uh, he's the best at it. Like you can have lots of cameras and uh, sensors and all these things around you to kind of give you tips, but that dude can just feel what's going on um, mm -hmm. like holistically and be able to correct you and put you in a good place. So um, he's the man. He's the man when it comes to that. It's, it's incredible. Definitely. And VJ, you're one of the OGs of the game. You're the most feared athlete. Now what I wanted to ask is, what is it that the UAE and the Middle East region can do in order to provide world-class athletes like yourself? Because we don't have a VG Jones here yet, but hopefully in the next two to five years, what is it that we can do to provide world-class athletes like you or someone else? I'd and you've say, interacted with some of them over here as well. 
I'd say build channels for athletes to develop. Um, I'm not really sure what it looks like for you in, in, in that part of the world and, and what it looks like as far as being an athlete in school and growing and developing as an athlete. Because if you want to be a runner, there's kind of an avenue for that. Like when I got into high school, there was my high school running teams. I grew through that. I could qualify into college. I could run in college. And if you can achieve high enough there, you can move into professional sport, right? Um, I have a question for you. What does it look like out there as far as, say, just the running realm? Like if you wanted uh, to be a runner. Yeah, right now, there are a lot of expats in Dubai. And this has changed primarily in the let's say, last five to 10 years. Like how we mentioned about Richard Diaz. There is another coach from England who's moved over here. His call is LK Running Performance. Prior to five to 10 years, a lot of people who are, let's say, good in track and field, they used to actually go to US. And I know a couple of my friends who have moved to Texas only to do the track and field, and then they used to come back. But at this moment, particularly in Dubai, there's no scholarship opportunities as such. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, there are a lot of expats, but maybe there are a couple of Emiratis, that is, you know, the, the, the citizens who are born and brought up in the Middle East. And one of them will be a competitor with yours who are running with Sergey's team. So, you know, from sure. them, you know, he's actually a full-time runner. And if I'm not mistaken, he actually beat Sergey by eight minutes. So, you know, he's going to be really competitive as well. But as and when, you know, people are going to keep on giving advice. I'm pretty much sure the Dubai government will definitely onboard you to what you have to see. And that's one of the reasons why they also have the Dubai Gov Games as well. And whatever yep. feedback you guys give, they're definitely going to go ahead and implement it. Now, Vijay, you're on a mission to do 100 pull-ups to get 100 for 100,000 followers, right? How is that going on so far? Not bad. Uh, have you touched the 18,000 yet? I don't or know. I don't know how social media works, honestly. Like I see these guys on Instagram, they come on and they're like, I am going to walk one inch for every follower I have. And then suddenly <laughs> they have 700,000 followers like eight days later and they're walking, you know, a few miles and stuff. And I'm like, I could do something like that. Let's try this hundred pound pull-up thing. So I'm trying to do a hundred pound pull-up, which is one pound for every thousand followers. And I'm like, you're going to make my pull-ups heavier. I've always wanted to do a hundred pound pull-up. I've never actually done it. So this is a good way to kind of get there. And I thought it could be kind of impressive and it would just like kind of engage people. So I'm just going to keep doing it every day. Instagram has not decided to help the kid out and get us some more followers um, because, you know, Zuckerberg holds the keys yeah. to being able to make that possible. Like if Instagram wanted to show my video to everybody, it would, but True. it doesn't like me right now. And I don't know why. And yeah, anyway, but are you on gonna, Reddit as well? Uh, are you on I, Reddit? I can go on Reddit. I've never like posted anything there. I don't really know much about that. Why? So if if you want to shoot up, let's say from seventeen to twenty or twenty-four, I think Reddit is the place to go. You know about the whole GameStop thing, right? Right. So they oh. took down the yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you, I love that. That's very. That's that's very interesting. So you may probably want to, for the, at least for one or two weeks, you may just want to follow a couple of channels and then try to pitch in the idea. And I wouldn't be surprised from 17 if it goes to 50K, maybe in just a matter of few days, that is definitely a possibility. So Reddit is the place I would recommend. And other than that, 
I think apart from US, if you look at you know certain Asian countries, there's a lot of TikTok. I mean, I yeah. personally don't like TikTok, so maybe promoting on that that might probably be a good idea. I think TikTok is wild, man. Like <laughs> I, I've posted a couple times, and I TikTok at least makes sense to me. When you post more, if you try to yeah. engage people and people watch your videos, they show it to more people. I'm like, fantastic. That makes sense. When I post a video on Instagram, say it starts getting a lot of interaction. You're like, okay, people are watching this. Watch time is good on it. Show it to more people. And Instagram will be like, no, hmm. no, we're not going to do that because you haven't figured it out. Or I don't know. There's a lot of weird like political stuff that happens in, in, in the US. And if you like the wrong thing, your account can get flagged as like, we don't want you to grow because you think so yeah. a certain way. Anyways, it's really weird. That's, a so I, <laughs> that, that's, that's one we should not touch at all. But I don't know. I don't know why it's not working. Like I felt like every time you think you're posting something really good, you're not. And then when you don't try at all, like I find some photo, I'm like, all right, let's throw that up. That does better than everything else that I put effort into. So uh, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand it. I don't appreciate it. And yeah, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep this up. I'm, I'm bringing my weight belt to Saudi Arabia and to Dubai. We're going to keep doing weighted pull-ups while we're there. Oh. So it, it's like, we're doing it every day, right? Every day until we hit a hundred thousand followers. If it takes three years, I'm probably still going to do it every day, but we'll, we'll work it out. I'll tell you what I'm going to do is, you know, I have two podcasts. One is Blockchain DXP, where I talk about Bitcoin and crypto. I'll definitely go ahead and mention that to my followers over there. And this is the second one, which is more to do with Obstacle Ghost Race. And you mentioned about politics and probably around two weeks time, I'll be interviewing Vivek Ramaswamy. So I'm definitely going to pitch in that question. You know, there are a couple of guys wow. who are trying to do it on Instagram. Why is Instagram blocking them and not promoting them? So I'll definitely go out and pitch in that idea. At least your name would come out. So, you know, let's see that's if I want to do that. Wow, <laughs> that's really cool. I will, when I come out, let's hang out. I'd love to pick your brain about blockchain and all this stuff. Because I know nothing. <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, in in fact, you know, what you could also do is on your Instagram, you can just put in your Bitcoin address and people could just donate it just because you like it. And there is a website called us runningbtc.com. Okay. You know, a lot of elite runners, but they are mostly ultra distance runners. So there's one commonality which I found out between runners and Bitcoin. They are passionate about both the things. So a lot of ultra runners are passionate about Bitcoin and vice versa. So, you know, you can always ask me any questions regarding Bitcoin and I don't like to post it, but I got them at $30. <laughs> so right now the price is $52,000 per Bitcoin. But that is, you know, if you have any questions, you can always ask me about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. <laughs> That's wild. Wow. In fact, you know what you can do is you have your website as well, right? vjjones.com. Is yeah. it still functional? So maybe you can accept cryptocurrencies for your payments. And maybe if there are a couple of cryptocurrency exchanges who want to go out and sponsor them or sponsor you, you know, we can probably try to think of those areas as well. Now, I wanted to ask you about RPT Athletics. Is that something that you're managing it as well? Yes, that's something that uh, I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there a little bit, little hints. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the business that I'm really going to try to delve into later this year. Um, 
that is going to be a performance apparel company mm -hmm. that I'm specifically trying to target hybrid fitness and OCR with. Um, I've had, I've had struggles finding gear that works and that works for my needs and uh, performs well in these different realms. So I've had a lot of experience. I've worked with lots of different things. I've tested lots of different things. And currently I'm in my clothing making phase where I'm learning myself how, how to create patterns, how to, like, I got a, I got a sewing machine now. I've been sewing stuff together. I'm, I'm learning the whole ins and outs of creating clothing. Um, and my goal is to start making one-off pieces for athletes, uh, for some of the top athletes and, uh, pr pretty much anybody really, uh, kind of to spec what people want to see. And once I kind of get an idea of what the most popular features are and products in the space, then I'm going to start coming out with, uh, like more of a complete line and more of a mass production. But I want to, I want to make sure everything is perfect before I bring it to market. Like I've, I've ordered a bunch of samples from uh, different manufacturers, like in the U S and in China and like feeling different things out. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of experimenting with some stuff. Like I currently have a, a pair of compression shorts that we put a lot of work into that are really, really cool. Um, will you be trying that, that Duff Madalula by any chance? So I will actually, I, I think I'll be bringing a pair with me um, and a couple shirts and things like that. But, but yeah, like I, I'm looking to make a performance apparel brand, like for athletes designed by me. And that's, that's kind of the dream there. Um, you probably won't see anything really big coming out of that for a few months, but mm -hmm. uh, like right now it's really in the research and development phase. We're going to kind of, figure out what we want to bring to market to start and then once everything drops like it should be really really quality gear uh, i just don't i don't want to half-ass it i want to i want to make sure it's nice i want to make sure it works and i want to make yeah. sure that when people pick up the clothing when they when they unwrap it for the first time like you can tell right away that this is, this is the best gear you've ever had so that's my passion project right now i'm, I'm really looking forward to it and i feel like we're going to be able to do great things with that and on the Instagram, you know, there are a couple of quotes as well. Is that your original quotes or do you pick it out from ChatGPT or, you know, oh, on those the quotes? Yeah. Oh, uh, a couple are original and a couple are some that I've, uh, I've heard and okay. things that kind of stick with me and things that kind of work with the branding of repeat. Like um, the mantra of repeat is one isn't enough and looking at athletes in this space it's everything we do is on repeat we're doing it day in day out and um yeah that kind of became like a little bit of a mentality to me is i didn't finish a workout and go like oh yeah it's done it's like all right i'm ready for the next one like it's gonna we're gonna do this again and we're gonna keep coming back day in and day out and it's just like doing the things that you don't necessarily like to do on repeat to get the things that you want was kind of the idea behind the name. And some of the quotes just kind of like um, came along with what kind of fits the branding. And it was just kind of interesting to me. So that's the kind of stuff you're going to see for a little bit until I can start sharing some of the journey of like actually producing the clothing 
and what it's going to look like and what we're going to have. And I'll probably be doing like some polls and getting other pe like people to kind of chime in as to, as far as what has worked for everybody and what people yeah. like and what they don't like to make sure that when this comes out, it's perfect. Cause I'm pretty much sure it's going to be absolutely smashing. Now, VJ, you have a weekly show with Matt Davis the OG of podcasting and obstacle course race as well. So what is it that listeners can expect from that session? So it's not weekly. It's kind of as we feel oh. when there's things to talk about, we will discuss it. That was kind of like what we, we mentioned that in one of the podcasts. Um, yeah, it's called, I think we're calling it like MVP Matt and VJ podcast. Um, oh, okay. MVP. It's fun. Like we, we gel together really well. Uh, yeah. We, and we can just carry a chat about nothing. But then when there are subjects to be discussed, we'll, we'll talk about it. And it's mostly fun. We get off topic. It's wild. There's some banter. And uh, yeah, it's just like colorful commentary. And then you'll get some good tidbits of information in there as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're bored on your run and you got to get 60 minutes in, you got to get 90 minutes in, throw on the podcast and let the mind wander it'll it'll definitely get you through yeah what what i'm going to do is the end of the show notes i'll definitely go ahead and mention you know the series that you do i'll go ahead and mention rpd athletics and your instagram handles and quite a lot of other things as well now we are towards the end of the podcast of ej i have two fun bit questions and i have a surprise question as well now the first question is regarding be a mile if you were to do a be a mile who would your running mate be Oof, that's tough. I'd probably need someone that can drink my beers for me because I can't, I can't handle that. <laughs> um, but someone lives right near me. Um, I think he's done like a low six-minute beer mile, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and that's Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer oh, okay. lives, about, lives about ten minutes from me, and I feel like we could work and we could do pretty well. But um, yeah, I don't really drink alcohol because it just tastes bad to me. I'm not opposed to alcohol. Just I can't get past the taste, man. So beer, I've never had a beer that was good. And I'm probably going to get some flack for that, but it's okay. Um <laughs> but yeah, I'd probably I'd probably tag in my buddy Jack and we'd we'd put in some work. And the second one what I wanted to ask is your favorite genre of music. Oh man. That's tough. I I kind of bounce around a lot. Um, shoot, I'd say like late '90s, early 2000s rock or alternative. Okay. I I've been really big into that the last little bit. Um, been listening to a lot of like Third Eye Blind and Goo Goo Dolls and Green Day and stuff like that lately. I don't know why, but that's just that's just what 2024 has brought me, and that's where I'm at. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm listening to right now. That's great. Now, VJ Chat GPT and artificial intelligence has definitely kicked the world by storm. Now, what I'm going to be reading out next is a question by Chat GPT. So what I did, you know, I took some of the transcripts from your podcast. I put a couple of you know your Instagram stories. A couple of the articles. So this question is not by me. It is by the, uh, let's say, so-called higher mind. So let's see what the answer to that is. And I'm going to be reading it out word for word. So the question is, VJ Jones, your journey in obstacle course race reads like a gripping saga of triumph and, triumph and resilience amidst the relentless pursuits of podiums and personal best. 
Have you ever encountered a moment of doubt or setbacks that made you question your path? If so, how did you overcome it? That is a deep question. <laughs> that is a deep question right there. That's a good one. Good one, chat GPT. I need to use AI more. Um, yes, absolutely. Like I'm not David Goggins. I'm not immune to doubt and difficulty on the daily basis. Um, and the thing is doubt happens. You just have to learn how to deal with it and remind yourself of your mission and what you're trying to accomplish. And realistically, when it comes to sport and competing, you have to be selfish because if you're competing as an athlete and you want to win and you want to be the best at what you're doing, you have to put a lot into yourself. And if you look at that from a standpoint of the greater good or uh, providing for your friends and family and that sort of stuff, it a lot of times is not that, right? Um, so you have to accept that this is a selfish mission and you're going to prioritize yourself over a lot of other things. And it's not a bad thing to be selfish. You don't have to exclude everyone else or do anything negative towards anyone else, but it is something to where you're going to have to prioritize yourself. And that can put you in a weird headspace sometimes, especially when things start going wrong. When, when you're not able to perform athletically, when you have a bad race, you're like, I put so much time into this and I, and I took time away from others to, to focus on me and making sure that this is happening. And I traveled halfway around the world to compete here. And I didn't accomplish my goal that can be really hard and I can put you in a dark place. So understanding your reasons and being honest with yourself as to why you're doing it is really, really big. Um, and I think people just need to accept the fact that athletics can be really selfish and bettering yourself is not something to shy away from, um, in any realm. So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of like me reminding myself of my mission and what I'm trying to accomplish and being okay with that is, uh, is usually enough and it's strong enough to overcome some of the doubts on the dark days. I think what you just said is, you know, complete championship mentality thought process and very, very beautifully said, you know, so thank you so very much. And how can listeners get in touch with you, Ouija? What is the best mode to get in contact with you? Uh, Instagram's good. You know, uh, that, that's probably the social media that I'm active on the most. So if you want to reach out, hit me up there. I think, uh, I think my emails even linked through that too. If you want to send an email, uh, I'm probably on WhatsApp. You can hit me up there. I, I'm an open book. I like chatting with people. So when you reach out, odds are I'm going to respond to some degree. Um, but also, as much as I like talking to people, I am terrible about remembering to talk to people. So uh, if if you send a message and I don't respond, eventually I will, but it yeah. might be a little while just because I am an airhead and it, and it happens. You know, ADHD runs high over here. So uh, I'm distracted by whatever the next thing is. So uh, yeah, hit me up on Instagram. I'll give you training advice. I'll give you inspirational quotes. I'll 
give you recipes for baking, whatever you need. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Vijay, for doing this. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm pretty much sure our listeners, you know, definitely, particularly from the Middle East, you're kind of like a mini celebrity, you know, so far as the obstacle course race is concerned. Everyone in the obstacle course race definitely knows who you are. So thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, Vijay. I appreciate it, man. I've enjoyed every trip out there and the community out there is incredible. So I appreciate you having me and I look forward to seeing you soon. See you in Alula. Thank you so much, Vijay.